Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. <laughs> Amen. Hebrews 8, verses 6 and 7 says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on a better promise. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would be sought for a second. And then in verses 12 and 13, For I will be merciful, God says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and lawless, lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant has been made, the first obsolete. But what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. What is a covenant? We don't really use that term too much. In the Bible, a covenant is a promise or a contract, an agreement. Sometimes a covenant is mentioned in the context of, a, of an agreement between two equal parties, like two men agreeing to particular terms and responsibilities, and then as long as each one satisfies their part of that deal, then the covenant is fulfilled. But the Bible also speaks about covenants between God and man. Now, this is obviously between two unequal parties. And as fallen human beings, we often fail to satisfy our end of the deal. And in those cases, those conditional covenants that renders the covenant invalid. But sometimes the Bible speaks of God establishing what he, what we call an unconditional covenant. That means that's a covenant that God will fulfill regardless of man's failure to fulfill his part. And we have to really praise the Lord for those because we know we're going to fail. We know that we're going to, um, we're going to mess up. But God is faithful to fulfill those promises. God has entered into a number of those types of agreements throughout human history. But all of them were established. All of them were established to show us that he would rescue the world through his son Jesus. And this is necessary because right from the beginning, right from the beginning when we see the fall of Adam and Eve, we see that they did not fulfill their part of the deal in the garden. God makes a covenant with them. He outlines their responsibilities toward the earth and toward the rest of creation. And then he gives them instructions, particular instructions regarding the tree of good and evil. And we know what happened. They did not abide by their part of the bargain. He says in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Lord said, 
commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you shall surely die. So we know the story, right? We know Adam and Eve failed to fulfill their part, and God pronounced judgment on all mankind for their disobedience. That's why when we look around at the state of this world, we see what a mess it's in. Because man has failed to fulfill his part. But we also see another part of the promise of God in a way to resolve the sin problem, the thing that we couldn't do ourselves. In Genesis 3, 14 and 15, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you, have, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You shall bruise his heel. Well, that was accomplished at the cross. And Satan probably thought that it was done, that Jesus was dead. But notice that he only bruised his heel. He only bruised his heel. It was not complete death. Why? Because on the third day he rose. On the third day he rose. We are starting to see this new covenant. You see, in the Bible it speaks of two covenants. It speaks of an old covenant and a new covenant. We're starting to see a picture of this new covenant of grace. We're going to talk more about that as we move on into the, into the message today. Other covenants were made between God and Israel, and they were specific to that nation. But some have dual natures. God makes a covenant with Abraham that really extends through to the whole entire human race. That's the promise of the coming Messiah. That's a beautiful promise that we can take hold of. This is the one who would fix the sin problem and restore man's relationship with his Creator the seed of the woman that we read about in that verse in Genesis, and the seed of Abraham. It says in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In who? In Abraham, through his line. In your seed, it says in verse 18, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus would be that offspring, who came through the line of Abraham, who would fulfill the covenant of grace, the new covenant. He also, God also made a covenant with Moses. This is the law. This is the Ten Commandments, all the additional hundreds of other commands, as well as the rites and rituals that we see God gave the nation of Israel to perform. But the book of Hebrews tells us that the old covenant has become obsolete. And therefore, we need a new covenant. But what's the difference between the old and the new? And why does it matter for us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Among other things, the old covenant gives us an, the animal sacrificial system for the atoning of sin for the people. 
Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The Bible says we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins in Colossians 1. That he has made peace through the blood of the cross. And we are now justified by his blood, Romans 5.9. We receive that great work of his substitutionary death on the cross for our sins through faith in his blood, it says in Romans. Why this emphasis on the shedding of blood? Couldn't it have been done some other way? Couldn't God have come up with a way that wasn't so kind of ugly? Well, when we go back to look at what the sacrificial system was all about, it was the death of an innocent to provide atonement for the guilty. The death of an innocent to provide life for the guilty. That was established by God right from the beginning. The blood of animals, though, as we see, is not sufficient to take away our sin. It only temporarily covers sin. So even Moses, through whom God established that old covenant, he looked forward to a new covenant. Because it's not about what we can do to keep the law. It's about what Jesus has done on the cross. Because we couldn't do it. First Peter tells us, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your sinless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Sometimes we believe that tradition can save us. Sometimes we believe that rituals and rites can save us. You may have, you may have come from a very religious, ritualistic upbringing. But that doesn't save us. It says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Anything we try to do to redeem ourselves back into a right relationship with God is always going to fall short. Always going to fall short. Another difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is a change in the priesthood. In the Old Covenant, the priest would go in and intercede for the people and once a year on the Day of Atonement, he would bring a sacrifice into the Holy of Holies and he would atone for the sins of the people. But notice, he had to do that every year. He had to continually go back and atone for the sins of the people. Why? Because the Old Covenant was temporary. The New Covenant is eternal and final. Hebrews 9.12 tells us, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, the last and final high priest, the great high priest Jesus, once for all, once for all, obtaining eternal redemption. This is the essence of the new covenant. Instead of trying to perfectly fulfill the law. Jesus, the perfect one, has already done it. 
And because the old covenant was based on man's obedience to the law, it wasn't long, really, before it was understood that no one could accomplish it. We just look around and we can look in the mirror and we know there's no way that we can fully, completely keep the law of God. It's just not going to happen. There's a story in the Bible about a rich young ruler. He had many possessions. And he thought he was good enough to inherit eternal life. In Matthew 19, we see this account. It says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing must I do that I may have eternal life? That's a good question, right? I'm sure a lot of people want to know. What good thing do I have to do to obtain eternal life? Just tell me and I'll do it. That seems easy enough. And, he, and Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? See, turn, see how Jesus turns it around? There's none good, he says, but one, and that is God. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. That's all. Just keep all the commandments perfectly. And remember what Jesus said about murder and adultery, that you don't have to actually physically do those things, but you only have to think of them in your mind, and you've already committed that sin. The Bible says that if you fail in one point in the law, you failed in the entire law. Okay, so keep the commandments. So the man said to him, which ones? Good question. Right? Which ones? And Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your mother and father, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, listen to the pride, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? So he never thought in his mind evil against anyone else. He never thought of adultery in his mind, right? He never stole anything. He never stole that pen from the office or, I don't know, piece of candy from the corner store. He never told a lie. Never. He kept them all. He always honored his father and mother. Always. Now, if for, for you who have kids, you know that that's not possible. And he always loved his neighbor as himself. He didn't think very highly of himself at all. Well, these verses here would tell us otherwise. But Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, which is the standard, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So now we see a couple of things here. We see that maybe this is a really just about uh, selling everything we have and not putting our trust in our wealth and thinking we could kind of buy our way into heaven. After all, that's what Jesus told him, sell everything you have, right? But that's not what this story is about. This story is about using the wrong standard to measure our goodness. Because most of us compare ourselves to other people. 
And most of us compare ourselves to the worst people we know. Well, I'm not like that serial killer, or I'm not like that, that armed robber, or I'm not as bad as this person or that person. And I think we, that's how we compare. That's the, those are the standards that we use. And I know that most of you, I hope all of you, have never murdered anyone. So you probably can all say, well, I'm not a murderer. But the problem is, that's not the standard. The standard isn't being good enough. The standard is being perfect. Jesus said, if you want to be perfect. So how can we be perfect? We all know we've said it many times in our life. Well, there's no one, no one in this life is perfect. No one's perfect. This story is about total devotion to Jesus. This story is about trusting in what he's done. This story is about understanding God's standard and that none of us could accomplish it. That's why the, he, the author of Hebrews tells us that the old covenant is obsolete. Living by the law is not going to work. The law itself isn't bad. It just doesn't give us the means to eternal life. It really never meant to give us the means to eternal life. Instead, it was meant to show us that we can't do it. The law has a purpose, but it's to point us to Jesus. It's to point us to Jesus. Galatians, Paul writes, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, there's no longer a need for a tutor. We've been taken to the cross through the understanding that we could not accomplish or fulfill the law. A tutor educates us in things, right? It teaches us. The law teaches us that we have to live by faith in Christ and not by our good works. If we could attain eternal life by keeping the law, then what? Jesus' death was in vain, the Bible says. He wouldn't have had to die. If we could do it, and that's the point. The new covenant. The new covenant is a covenant of grace. And the new covenant is also a change in heart. Because that's really where it starts in our hearts, isn't it? Jeremiah 31, 33 says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. This was originally intended for the nation of Israel, but ultimately it extends to all mankind. In the new covenant, God promises to forgive sins and that there will be knowledge of Jesus Christ and his, and his perfection, and his sufficiency at the cross. And the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, was sacrificed for our sins once for all. And the blood poured from his side, and the price of our redemption was paid. But how can we know? How can we know that his death was sufficient? 
The Bible tells us that Jesus' death on the cross was all that God required for payment of sins. John 19, 30 says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said what? It is finished. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That word finished is a very interesting Greek word. It has a few definitions as it's used in the Bible. One of them is to bring to a close, to finish, to end. We know that Jesus completed the mission that he came to earth to accomplish. Another definition is with, with reference to, a, to the subject matter, to carry out the contents of a command. We know that Jesus always did what his father asked. He was always obedient. Total submission we see in the person of Jesus Christ. And then it also says to perform an act with complete, which completes a process to accomplish, to fulfill. At the cross, Jesus left nothing undone. Nothing. It was his last act which completed the process of redemption for mankind. But then another definition of this word finished is interesting. It's to pay. And this is actually an accounting term, meaning that the debt was paid in full, like when you pay off your car loan or your student loan or your mortgage. You get a letter from the finance company and it verifies that you've completed payment and the debt has been satisfied. That's when Jesus said, it is finished. That's what he was talking about. On the cross, Jesus paid the debt in full. And despite our failures, we are able now to enter into this new covenant thanks to the fact that Jesus himself was able to perfectly fulfill everything that was required. And it isn't up to us. But what about the resurrection? What aspect in the new covenant does the resurrection have? Isn't this resurrection Sunday? Isn't this why when we celebrate his rising from the dead? Well, as much as the death of Christ was necessary for salvation, if he had remained dead, if he had remained in the grave, our faith would be empty. Our faith would be empty. See, he needed to triumph over death. He needed to overcome the grave so that we can partake also in that same resurrection. The death of Christ would have been a nice effort, but it would have been of no effect if he didn't rise. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, if Christ is not risen, then our faith is in vain. Then our faith is in vain. We are yet in our sins and we are of all men are to be pitied. But we know Christ did rise. He rose from that grave. He proved that he had completed everything that was necessary. He paid the price. He conquered the enemy. And he broke the bands and the chains of death. So that we could be free from that. In the resurrection of Jesus, we have a clear picture of the, of the fact that sin and death were destroyed. And the evidence 
that the father was pleased. The evidence that the father was pleased. We are no longer under the law, but under grace, it says in Romans. The old covenant has served its purpose. It's been replaced by what? A better covenant with a better hope, established on better promises, fulfilled by a better sacrifice, and giving us better possession in heaven. All of those in the book of Hebrews, speaking about of the better mediator, Jesus Christ. Although the new covenant was originally meant for the nation of Israel, after the resurrection of Jesus, everyone was brought in to the blessing. Everyone was brought in. So we are able to partake in that. Under the new covenant, now both Jews and Gentiles can be free from the penalty of the law. And the most important thing, as we close up this morning, that in the new covenant, we've been given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift, a free gift. Jesus did it all. We do not have to work toward our salvation. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and then not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, this is a new covenant in grace. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that confirms that what he did was sufficient, more than sufficient, to fulfill God's requirement for the sin problem. It's a gift. It's a gift, according to grace. We can't save ourselves. I know most of you here have made that decision to follow Christ and to accept what he's done on the cross. But some might not. Some might be still counting on their goodness, using that flawed standard. Some might be counting on their membership in a church or rites and rituals. Or maybe they were brought up a certain way and they figure, well, that will be okay. But God wants an individual personal relationship with each and every person. The question for all of us today, have we accepted what Jesus did? That new covenant in grace that God extends to everyone. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.